0: Welcome to Trek Companion. This is episode 84. I am your host, Brian Williams. I am Adam Caesar. I'm Stephen Embry. And today we're discussing Next Gen's fourth season episodes Half a Life,
1: The Host, and The Mind's Eye. Here we go. Half a Life, Season 4, Episode 22, Production Number 196. Original air date, May 6, 1991. Directed by Les Landau. Story by Ted Roberts and Peter Allen Fields. Teleplay by Peter Allen Fields. Music composed by Dennis McCarthy. Guest cast include Michelle Forbes as Dara, Majel Barrett as Loxana Troy, David Ogden Steers as Timison, Terence E. McNally as Betardit, Carol Strykin as Home, and Calmini as Miles O'Brien. Oh.
2: While a passenger aboard the Enterprise, Troy's mother, Loxana, becomes infatuated with Dr. Timison of the planet Kolan, Kalana 2. The rather reserved Timison, a leading scientist who has enlisted the Federation's aid in saving his planet, is equally smitten with Loxana, and the two begin spending time together. The experiment ends in failure, and Timison later confines to Loxana that he is returning home to die. Are you aware of these people you are so graciously helping are murderers? I beg your pardon. Well, the next thing to it, when a person on this benighted little planet reaches the age of 60, which Timothy is about to do,
0: they're expected to simply kill themselves. Did you know that? Half a life. Uh, Adam, why don't you start us off on half a life? Um...
2: I kept thinking, I remember this I remember this episode because it's always got um, the um, guy from MASH in it Um, I can't remember I remember that that when I was younger I was like, oh, that's the guy from MASH I can't even remember the character's name or the actor's name at this point in my life but um, this episode has a lot to say it's very interesting um, talking about um, you know, death and um, the meaning of life and how long, you know how long somebody is useful, and it asks all those questions in a um, in a meaningful way. Um, so I think it's a good episode.
1: Steve,
0: what are your first, first thoughts with this one? Do you, yeah, how well do you guys remember this one? I,
1: I remember pretty it well. Sounds like Adam does. Yeah, yeah, I remember it pretty well. And I guess the the strongest. Yeah, I, I agree that it has things to say. I feel that um, David Ogden Steers' acting is something. I feel this is like one of these really really quality guest mm-hmm. spots you know that it has I also think it might be the best Loxana Troy episode too um at least she's given something interesting to do um and yeah, I think it has a lot to say, and uh I think uh at my current age versus when I first saw it it's even it's even more uh, poignant <laughs> <you know? laughs> hmm.
0: yeah well it's it's an unusual episode um it's one of those. Very rare episodes of Star Trek. I think that pretty much focuses on guest stars and not the main stars, and does not suck. Yeah, you know, usually those episodes suck. We have a lot more examples of those episodes that do suck than do not suck, and this in yeah. fact does not suck. Um, and I mean, part of that is, I'm sure, is because Waxana isn't a full-on guest star. I mean, I mean, she's a guest star, but you know, she's a recurring uh, mm-hmm. character. Um, I think you're right that David Ogden Steers is he's, – he's a really good actor. And I think what's nice about his performance is it's so – he's so, like, economical. Mm-hmm. You know, he does so much with so little. And I don't mean he's given little to do. I mean he can say a line without having to do a lot. He doesn't give it yeah. much, but there's a lot to it still. There's a lot of weight to it. And then when he does, you know, get upset or, or something – Man, it's 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 really there's there's a lot you know it's times a hundred um, that you feel it like when he shouts for example and he's been quiet all the rest of the time it really you're like whoa he's shouting <laughs> you know? mm-hmm. um, and then also Majel is so good and you're right too that I, I think she she normally doesn't have a lot to do or if she does it's usually a you know most of the time her stuff is comical and then she'll have like one kind of serious scene with Odo near the end of the episode or something right but for mm-hmm. the most part you know She's a lot of what she does is comedy, and this one it starts off that way. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's pretty brief and it gets very quickly into uh the meat of it and the seriousness and the drama. Um, you know, there's a, there's a very long scene, I don't know, somewhere in the maybe halfway ish, um, between. Oh, it was The Morning After. Mm-hmm. Yeah, The Morning After. And that scene is just her and Steers as uh, Timison for a, quite a long time. You know, it's it's well-blocked. There's good performances. But, it, you know, it's one of those things where, like, it's hard to imagine seeing that on the page and thinking, that's going to hold our attention, you know? Yeah, yeah. You, would, you don't even write that way unless you think that you You know the performances are going to be good. Mm -hmm. You know, certainly that's the kind of thing that I don't. They would not have done earlier on the show. You know, Um, so from that point of view, that's also very effective. Um, So uh, yeah, we we don't get a lot. One other thing I want to point out is it's interesting that she comes on the ship and it's not all about Deanna, Mm -hmm. which is usually what it really is um Deanna in this episode almost doesn't even have to be there yeah yeah you know Um, well she's
2: um she's more the counselor in this in this episode than she kind of you know Mm -hmm. you know than the daughter I mean it's kind of weird you kind of you watch this episode and you think this is this it's kind of like a role reversal Deanna is almost the mother in this episode the way Mm -hmm. she's supporting her and um counseling her and and all that kind of stuff um so Role reversal there for those
0: two well certainly it asks some interesting questions that probably worth spending a little more time on than we would usually for you know what it's about but um, we've seen I don't remember exactly there was an episode of the original series that had a kind of that I don't know what you call it you know Logan's run kind of story right where, where they would either kill themselves or be killed or something I can't remember now We've seen that on Star Trek before, you know, mm-hmm. when, when you reach a certain age. Um, but this one doesn't in an interesting way. This one, you you do feel you do feel something a little different because it's not because it is because it's played so small. And it here, here's the, here's what I'm getting. I'll just jump right to it. In a way, I'm I feel empathy for him. I don't feel completely like. Loxana, where this is stupid. I'm never going to agree with it. You shouldn't be this way. And even by the end of the episode, when she's she's learned to kind of get over that, so that she can go be with him during the whatever it's called restitution. <laughs> no, that's not what it's called. Um, yeah, I don't recall now. Yeah, uh, but she says I'm never going to be okay with it. But I want to be there. You know. So even, she never really does accept that. Yeah. Um, but. I feel a little bit more, you know. I, I guess like, the Federation would res- would does respond, you know. Even Picard is like you know, the Prime Directive. Yeah. You yeah. Know, I feel a little bit like I, I I respect their culture even if I disagree with it, um, and I feel that way because of the writing for his for Og- uh, for Timison, mm-hmm. you know, and the performance that he gives it. And when his daughter comes, you know, it doesn't seem so... I think it would be very easy for this to come off as where I would kind of feel like um, Loxana. And I like that I don't. Mm -hmm. Does that kind of make sense? Mm -hmm.
2: Yeah, I I think if it was any other character, um, the reaction might have been um, way over the top. I mean, she just kind of just completely wigs out. And then, you know, we kind of later find out that that has to do more with her yeah. getting um getting older and and feeling like she might not be useless. useful yeah. useful anymore um so i think it kind of makes sense if you kind of just i think maybe for a first time you are watching this you might be like damn dude, dude calm down woman <laughs> but um <laughs> it it makes a little bit more sense as it as it goes along that um this actually has more to do with her than um than um her feelings toward well i mean i'm not saying it doesn't have anything to do with her feelings about the actual ritual, but it's just her feeling that she's becoming inadequate.
0: So what does... Oh, go ahead.
1: Yeah, I, I, well, it's, you know, it's complex, because I think, I mean, if we're kind of getting into what it's about a little bit here, but because there's so much to say, but you definitely have... It's obvious that she is she is affected because of her vulnerability, you know, she's aging and, you know, we're, you know, we're all vulnerable to this, but obviously as, as one loses abilities or skills or just, just comes to conclusions that they are, you know, they may not be worth something in some respect, that they thought they were, uh, you know, we become vulnerable. I think there's also the added layer of um, the notion of uh, the individual's rights and the individual's, um what they have to offer versus the work itself. They speak so much of the work goes on despite the person, and that's just the way the society works. It would have to be set up that way. If, if everyone has accepted that mm-hmm. everyone's cool with this, then you'd have to conclude that it's okay because work goes on. Well, by having that attitude, you're also diminishing the individual. You're diminishing that everyone has a unique uh, something unique to offer versus just a contribution to some whole all the time. Well, to a small extent, I mean, you can certainly say it's a bit of a fashion,
0: uh, fascist state, and yeah. you know that you're you're killing yourself at 60 for the state, you know, yeah. for the for that version of the people. You don't. Yeah. You don't. You don't have a say in it, even if you might disagree with it. Like he briefly does here. Mm-hmm. It's not like they say, well, okay, you know, right.
2: Um, I, I clearly think it, it talks it has things to say about how we we treat the elderly in this episode but I also kind of think it it kind of has to t- talks about societal issues you know things you learn that are that are taught to you as a child mm-hmm. and then you know you teach them to your t- child and so on and so on we see that um, we see that scene with um, the future Ensign Roe there um, where she is completely okay with her father who is uh, completely, Healthy and virile man, just um, taking his life, and um, the only reason that she's okay with that is because that is what was taught to her, and mm-hmm. it's not some instinctual thing or you know yeah. something that's pre-programmed. These are things that are taught, and I kind of think it has a little <laughs> bit to say about like you know in our society how things are taught to us that should be questioned, and so on and so on. So well, yeah, that's definitely the other <coughs> thing that
0: that it made me think about was just this idea of you know, when should, um, like, tradition be evaluated? mm mm-hmm. Yeah, or when should, I mean, is it ever okay to follow that sort of thing blindly or, you know, um, I don't, certainly don't know the answer to that question, but um, I think this, this episode makes you think about that, um, definitely. So those are the kind of the, the two things that thematically that it hits for me yeah um what happens what do you do with with uh people that you've decided are useless mm. um, and when when is it okay to buck tradition or when when should tradition be evaluated um you know it's 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 so easy to just go on autopilot and never ask why mm-hmm you know, and I think especially when I was younger, that was a really big deal to me. Like I, that was, that was how I defined living, you know, people that weren't asking why were dead, you know, well, they were just, they mm-hmm. were just going through the motions, surviving until the day they die. Um But now as I get older, and I guess that's normal, you don't rebel as much, but <laughs> the, the older I get, the more I see some value in some tradition, but um that doesn't mean that I've stopped asking why. You know, it's. In, I like that he says, uh, when he's telling, Timison is telling Luxana how the, this started on his planet. He, does, he doesn't He does even say exactly when. He's like, 15 or 20 centuries ago. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know? <laughs> I don't know. It's just been this way for a long time, is my point. That's all. You know, it's like, oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs>
2: Well, I mean, I, I don't think it's, I don't think there's anything wrong with traditions or, or customs or anything like that, but I think what to your point, Brian, is like um, I think you should always kind of ask yourself a question, why are we doing this? I mean, you know, we celebrate Christmas every year. I don't think there's been a Christmas that gone by that I don't ask why why do, why do we celebrate this? We celebrate it because it's a coming together of family, friends, loved ones, that sort of thing, and I think that should be remembered, and not necessarily questioned, but re-examined every year, and it kind of seems like this race didn't even go to the, didn't even think about examining, that they just did it without any question or regard to the consequences. Hmm.
1: But I think it's an easy trap to fall into. I mean, we don't have this like this in our society, but... Um, would probably wouldn't have to go very far before we come up with something that you know is something we say, hey, why why this, why this age, why this time, why this thing? You know, well, you know, and unfortunately, you know, we generally speaking have the freedom to evaluate things. Usually, enough pressure happens where, but but yeah, you're right. We take things for granted. You know, sooner or later, you know, you it's no it's no surprise that to me that a society could could evolve into this kind of situation. You know. Well, the truth is, we still don't really
0: have an answer. There isn't really a good choice of what to do with society's elderly. I mean, eventually, if you live long enough, you will get to a point where you will require care. Yes. Mm -hmm. You know, Um, there is no graceful way to just, you know, age, to to age out and die naturally or something, you know. Mm Mm-hmm. we still don't have an answer for it, but, uh, this society does, <laughs> we just, <laughs> uh, we would probably disagree with it, especially when we're, say, 58, 59. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was funny, you know, watching this episode, my, made me think about my father is going to turn 60 later this year. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's got, I mean, that does sound like such a, a huge number, but, uh, my dad's not that much older than me. <laughs> I'm, a, yeah. I'm closer to sixty now than I.
1: Yeah, yeah, I'm reasonably certain I have not seen this episode since my parents passed that age. So yeah, uh, <laughs> I thought of that too.
0: Uh,
2: yeah. Well, we kind of do have this. I mean, you know, you've you've come to like um, in our society. We kind of have the you know the aided suicide. You know, when you become invalid, we've we've talked about there's That discussion has come up in our society about should you have the right to end your life when you yeah, want, this, want to. This
0: episode aired around, you know, give or take a year, but around the time of Dr. Uh, kvorkian and mm-hmm. all his stuff. Mm-hmm.
2: But that's still an ongoing debate whether people should be allowed to make that decision or not. So, mm-hmm. it's not a decided thing. And I the, also enjo- a real note, side note, I also enjoyed the science in this episode about the star re- reforming the star and that kind of stuff. I guess that was yeah, a, the, a weird little B story. In this. The only
0: thing that I've just i I've seen Star. I've watched Star Trek so much that, like, even the scene, you know, when they're doing this test and it's going really well, and I'm just like, I'm just waiting. I'm just like, well, you know, eventually it's going to seem like it worked well, and when's you know, it's going to mess up. <laughs> it's going to collapse. The whole Star is going. I mean, I know yeah, yeah. Jordy it's going jinxed far, it. Yeah, it's going far too well for it to, <laughs> for it to go well. Um, and, uh, Adam, you mentioned this last thing. We, we definitely should at least mention too. Then, um, yes, Michelle Forbes. Uh, she does such a good job in her one scene as Timmons' daughter that you know she's going to be brought back for that recurring role. But that's how <laughs> that's how good a job she does in one scene. You know, mm-hmm. um, I don't know. Think about the host we're going to talk about in just a second. Uh, the girl at the end of that episode, the the new body um, for O'Dan. She's in one scene, and she was fine. She was not bad. Uh-huh.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: She was fine. She was what I usually expect for someone that gets paid to come in for one day in one scene. Um, but Michelle Forbes is um, very good.
2: Well, Michelle probably looks better in a tight suit than.
0: Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. We've covered this one. Let's move on to Six Degrees for Half a Life. Um, Adam. Yes. Uh, Michelle Forbes plays Dara, Timison's convincing daughter. She will become better known to Trek fans as Ensign Rowe in future episodes of Next Gen, beginning in which season? Season five. You're correct. For no bonus points, can you name the episode? That uh, she no. she first appears in? No. It was Ensign Rowe. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> well, all right. Uh, Steve, who gave the opening audio log entry in this episode? And I ask because it's the only time that particular person ever does it in the entire series. Oh yeah, I made a note of it because it struck
1: me as odd. It's uh, Troy. Counts That's right, Deanna me. Troy's only time she does that. All right, one to one. Moving on. <laughs> The host, season four, episode 23, production number 197, original air date, May 11th, 1991, directed by Marvin V. Rush, written by Michael Horvat, music composed by Jay Chattaway. Guest cast include Barbara Tarbuck as Lika Tryon, Nicole Orth Pallavicini as Kirill O'Dan, William Newman as Kaylin Tross, Patty Yasutaki as Alyssa Ogawa, and Frank Luz as O'Dan. <laughs>
2: Beverly Crusher becomes romantically involved with a Trill ambassador named Odin, who is being escorted by the Enterprise to mediate a dispute in the Pylar system. As the Enterprise approaches its destination, Riker, Riker volunteers to shuttle the ambassador to the planet. Shortly after the shuttle departs, a ship opens fire on them, critically injuring Odin and forcing them to return to the Enterprise. Back on board, Beverly's examination of Odin indicates that a parasite is invading his body. As she prepares to remove it, she is shocked when Odin stops her, revealing that he is the parasite and his body is merely the host. Perhaps it is a human failing, but we are not accustomed to these kinds of changes. I can't keep up. How long will you have this host? What would the next one be? I can't live with that kind of uncertainty.
0: Okay. I'm going to let Adam, who feels very strongly about this episode, <laughs> kick it off.
2: Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, I don't feel that strongly about it. Um, I found the episode um, tragically amusing. <laughs> I don't know what that means, but no, I had a hard time sitting through it. It's funny that um, I didn't really enjoy this episode. I didn't really think it was a good kickoff for the, um, the Trill species. And um, if you would have asked me whenever this episode came out 20, 25 years ago, if we would have ever seen a Trill character again, I would probably have said no. But um, it sets up the basis for, you know, later characters, most notably Dax. Um, Going forward, but um, this kind of really felt like a bad original series episode. You know, where you know, you the whole Riker Beverly thing just kind of—it was so bad to me. It was just amusing at some point. I, I remember what what is it? When ten forward? When um um troy is trying to explain oh, their goofy to looks yeah yeah they're goofy looks mm-hmm. and troy who you know we all know the relationship between troy and Riker, and she's trying to explain to beverly like it doesn't matter about love i'm just like oh my god yeah. sometimes it just doesn't work in this time it it, it it really didn't work for me um even the whole episode it was just kind of off kilter and strange and goofy and just not good,
0: Steve. Your first
2: thoughts
1: well, I mean, I think in the end, we can speak of some things that it's trying to get at, perhaps I mean, I don't think it's devoid of meaning. I just think it's it's a classic one of these the execution of the relationship or whatever it comes off it It's just so goofy, it comes off as goofy it makes for me, it makes crusher look uh silly and uh perhaps. I don't know, just a bit shallow in a way, too. I don't know, just, it's one of those kind of things. Where I just, It's just, there's more goofiness than depth, you know. Gentlemen,
0: this is an incredibly rare moment. I am going to disagree with you both.
1: All right, All I'm right.
0: going to say this episode is very, very good. And I'm also shocked that I remember thinking it was kind of lame. And I think that it's probably the biggest turnaround I've ever had hmm, really? in, any, in in any episode of Star Trek that I can think of. I think this is a really really good episode. I I definitely do think. It, I mean, it does have some problems. That 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 scene in Ten Forward, when Riker as O'Dan is looking at her and she's looking at him, it that it is a little goofy, and um, and there are some moments when I think like after like right after the he's. Yeah, Odan is injured. Maybe Area Crusher should have shown a little more emotion. That feels a little odd, uh, you know. So it's not. I mean, it has some issues, um, but I think this episode is actually really good. Um, and that's really almost. I can't ever think of that that's that that's happened as far as <laughs> I feel like I'm. I'm really disagreeing with you guys, both of you. I don't think that's happened before.
2: Well, I think where this episode lost me when it first started to lose me is um, when in the ready room, when Odin was in the ready room with um, Picard. And I know what they were trying to do. They were trying to, like, you know, you know, kind of get a reaction for Picard. But I don't You know, to me it's like, okay, this guy's about to go mediate a um, – a, very hostile dispute and, he, and he's in with the, a captain of a starship who yeah. really doesn't know and he's sitting there talking about high school stuff It's just, just seemed really uh, okay. off kilter to so me that is,
0: it was a little unprofessional of him but mm-hmm. that's, that's somebody that's not just lo- that's in love that's mm-hmm. nutty silly head over heels in love that's what you do when you're that crazy in love and especially early on in the relationship both of which are apparently true here um, and that's one but of I, the I, things. But,
2: but see, I didn't really even feel it. I didn't feel that either.
0: Well, that's one of the cool things that one of the unusual things about this episode is that it really starts. Um, what's that called? In, in, immediate, rest, right? I can't even say the word right, but you know what I'm trying to say. Mm-hmm. It, the story's already. We're jumping into the story in the middle. You know, they've already been going on with their relationship for a while, and that feels a little weird. Not because it is weird. It's just, it feels a little weird because it's just something Star Trek doesn't usually do. It's like, whoa, she, who's this guy she's kissing? This is our mm-hmm. regular here you know, we don't usually, and it's not just that they were kissing, but I mean, they were obviously, you know, in love. So there's a lot more than, you know, a day or two. So you feel like you miss something, which is not something, not the way, especially next gen, not the way that show, this show usually starts. Um, but, you know, a scene like that one with Picard, uh, I think it's totally, I, t- I think it totally works. And it just shows how, how nutty and luffy is. And that you kind of see, need I, I, that I, so that later i buy it whenever he's still completely in love with her it doesn't matter what body he's got on you know see
2: you always see that's where i would disagree with you i never actually even felt the chemistry between the two i think she, i think beverly explains it best when they're in like the beauty salon or something like that and she's like i should be old enough to know the difference between infatuation and in love being in love, and I don't think she was ever in love with the guy. I but think she, she says upset. that with
0: a question mark at the end. She's like, <laughs> but, but, uh, I can tell." I'm wait. Anyway, yeah, exactly, yeah, exactly, yeah,
2: with the question mark. So I think at the end of the episode, we get the answer to that question. She was never in love with him. She was infatuated with him.
0: No, now that's something bet, we can we can have this. Okay, I mean, we, we,
2: can, we can agree to disagree with that. But yeah. no, that's,
0: yes, we're gonna, we're 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 agreeing to disagree. But I would I would like to discuss the ending too. Um, before we get to that, um, just overall, and maybe this is jumping into what kind of what it's about to me, but the reason I think it's good is that kind of every scene is it's kind of an examining the nature of love to me and I, and I and I don't it doesn't feel silly to me this question. Um, I, I believe. Yes, and if if you don't buy that they're in love, then kind of the whole episode is not, definitely is not going to work. But I did. um, And I, I, so so by the time you get to the end here, um, you've seen her trying to get over this idea of him changing bodies. She has to go through it once already because of the Riker situation. Which, by the way, what a weird acting gig. (laughs) You've been like, like, say... For the the two of them, um, they've been just colleagues for four years, you know? And now we have to play a love scene and look like we're really in love and kiss each other. Like, what a weird acting gig, (laughs) you know? Mm -hmm. Um, But, okay, that aside. But this is not easy for her. Despite the fact, and this is important, despite the fact that to a, you know, flesh and blood heterosexual woman, Jonathan Frakes, 1991, is a very attractive guy, okay? Um, she's still not like, whatever, it's Odan in this attractive body, I'm good to go. No, not at all. And it's not just because Riker it was her, is her friend, it's because Odan's body has changed. And she has to go through this whole sequence of trying to decide... Um, you know, and as, and we get into that scene like we talked about that is yeah, it does have some silly shots and things uh, between her and Troy with, in Ten Forward with Riker on the other side of the room, you know, and Troy says something like, you know I don't remember, give in to love or accept the love or something of that effect um, and still Crusher isn't ready to do it, you know, she still rejects Odan Riker in sickbay you know, But later, she comes to him. So the point here is that it was a really big deal for her to give in to this, to, to accept this this change. So by the end of the episode, now here's what I wanted to discuss. So 20-some-odd years ago when I first saw this, I remember thinking that it was maybe a little bit homophobic. I don't think that anymore. And maybe that's – hey, this is the point of our show, right? We're looking at these things – With hindsight, it's it's okay. We don't have to look at this from nineteen ninety one eyes, but with two thousand fourteen eyes, I don't see this as homophobic. I see this as a woman that's comfortable with the fact that she is heterosexual and that she's attracted to males, right? And that despite the fact that she knows she loves O'Dan, one. He is now in a female's body, and she's not attracted to females. And two, and the more important part, she just isn't capable of coping with this level of change. Even if this wasn't female, I think she still could have the same kind of issue. Because she she just she barely made it through when it was Riker you know? Mm-hmm. So, so why don't you guys discuss here kind of this ending. Did you think it was homophobic? Do you disagree with everything else I'm saying about it? Well, yeah. Well, first
2: off, I, the character Odin is a lack of a better word. He's a, from what we know about Trills, I don't want to call him a freak, but the dude is totally off his rockers. I mean, who does, that? <laughs> who, do, who does that to somebody you love? Okay, first off, I'm going to switch bodies into a guy that's basically your brother. And then I'm going to ask you to, you know, get it on with me while I'm in this body that you're familiar with. It's totally over the top and <laughs> insane. I mean, you know, seriously, it's just, it's just not right. It just feels awkward and bad the whole way through. Well, I just want to say that and what he's the- trying to get at. And just said, well, you you asked me to, to to speak on this, and it's yeah, just, yeah, absolutely. Uh, and so, I mean, those whole scenes with Riker in there—I don't know who decided to make that decision. If that's what they were trying to do, but it was just so over the top bad. It just really was. I mean, the act, i mean, it was. It was. You could tell it was just uncomfortable all the way through, even for the actors. So I can I can sympathize with what you're saying, Brian. I think I they were what they were trying to do is what you're saying, but were they able to pull it off? They clearly missed the entire target. And the end of the episode, her whole line at the end of the episode was, I'm just human. To me, that just reinforces the fact that she was never in love with this guy. To me, that just reinforces the fact that she was never really in love with this guy. And she doesn't even say she loves him when, when he leaves. So when she's talking
0: about that at the end, what the way I feel, what I read it as, mm -hmm. um, I have an inability to separate my feelings for you from some of the physical sides of it. Mm-hmm. You know, your body makes a difference. Um,
2: yeah, but I mean, clearly, love is love, and if you're in love with somebody, you get past that. So, well, that's me-
0: what that's what O'Dan is trying to say. Whenever she's like, whenever he's like, I know this is Riker's body, but just forget about that. You know, and I think she finally does. Otherwise, how do you, you know, yeah, spend the that, that with your brother? That,
2: that, that whole st- that, all that stuff there in the middle is just so ridiculous. I can't even take it seriously. Um, Sorry. Sorry. Steve, Steve.
0: No, that's great. I think our podcast is really more entertaining when we disagree. <laughs> I'm happy that we're disagreeing. Steve, where, where are you at? Are you, sounds like you're probably more on Adam's side. Yeah, yeah. I, argument.
1: I mean, my, my gut. You know, is that I, I'm not too fond of the episode. Now, I don't know if I'm as hardcore about how absurd I find the uh, the scenes, but I think it's it's you know I think I think there are things to there are things to say here. There's interesting things to explore. I I just feel that uh, the execution uh, isn't enough. It, it, there's too much squirrely stuff going on to make me. Get to that point. I don't. I don't know what all that. Why all that is. I tend to have. A, usually, I tend not to favor too much things that get a little too uh, wrapped up in the whole. And I think. I think you know when you when you have a forty-five minute episode too, to totally fall into a situation where you know there's a, you know people are in love and all the ramifications. I think that can be kind of tough to convey entirely. You know, to, to so you can totally buy into it and then you throw these kinks in it. And 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 you know, I I wouldn't I wouldn't say that I, I never I didn't buy that they're in love or anything. I, I just don't know. I don't know. It's you know it could be infatuation maybe not whatever. But this it, I don't know. I mean it's. Um, but i I and as far as the ending, i I don't find it homophobic. I think probably number one, the show's gotta end sometimes. so you gotta find a way to wrap it up. But number two, <laughs> number two, it probably is a little bit of a cop out. I mean, where are you gonna go from there? You know, I mean, they, they kind of did something like, let's do something crazy and let's make her a woman. Um, and but but the episode's gotta end at some point anyway. so I'm not gonna, it's not homophobic. It's just that it's um it just doesn't explore that question. For me, I think the more interesting thing that it explores versus the n- nature of love is the nature of identity and maybe how, how love is involved with that. Um, we we don't get much of a chance in our society to explore this because we are people and we're only one person and we look like mm-hmm. what we do. The closest thing would be is if something happened to – and this happens, of course, where some kind of – Something occurs that affects your body physically, some accident, some kind of trauma, or something, too. Well, you know, generally we would believe that, a, a, you know, a a love should love should outlast that it shouldn't you know it's not really love unless you know you, you accept this person as they are regardless of what's occurred to their physical appearance but it is a complex question that is interesting to explore is this idea of um, physicality and how much of that is involved with love in in the short term the long term etc so. so the
0: implication here is that it's
1: a more evolved
0: way of thinking and behaving when you really can completely get past the physical, right? you know, she says at the end, you know, he's trying to convince her, the body doesn't matter, I love you, um, when he's Riker and that works, um, but by the end, she says, you know, maybe someday our ability to love won't be so limited is what she says, you know, so she's, she has that, she calls that a limitation, you Mm -hmm. know. That sounds like you're saying it's inferior, you know. And that's you know you think about the Gene Roddenberry um, idealistic concept of the future. You know, you would you would hope that someday, you know, love would be blind in that way. Or if we're saying you know it's how do you really identify yourself? Humans identify one another. So much of it is the physical. Mm-hmm. We can't we can't really turn that off because that's our that's who we are biologically in our society um, it, it's, an, it's an interesting question because because it's so, because so much of it is instinct um, and human behavior that you can't think your way out of it Crusher is a smart person um, she knows she loves Odan. that is not enough
2: so Brian I think this episode would have worked a lot better for me if they would have just maybe left Riker out of it, and maybe just had him transfer from one host to the other, like right away or more immediate than it, than it would happen, then that probably could have evolved a little bit more naturally. I, um, like I said, uh, I, 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 I won't go into it too much. I'm just saying that what we know about trills, and like I said, hindsight's 2020. So, mm-hmm. first off, this would never happen in today's trill. Right, because you're not happened. supposed
0: to yeah, interact with your. So old-
2: first off, this would never happen in today's trill, but this is the first introduction of the trill. I think it would have. I think the episode would have played a lot better if she, if the host would have transferred to another trill immediately, and he just kind of left Riker out of it, and they could have explored that. The new host, the new person, the new host. With her and Beverly, without all the the silliness in between, I think the episode would have worked a lot better that way than it than it turned out.
0: I think I liked that it was Riker because it it forces you to address the issue of of how do you define identity because we already had a definition of who riker was we know who he is right now we're saying odan is in him and he's saying ignore that everything you've known about me for 4 years forget that i'm a different person you know i'm a person named odan that loves you when you look at me you see this person you, you've identified with and i and and can define from the last 4 years forget that you know and that's a lot more difficult for us to do and it would have been so much more easy yeah if they transferred into a different Host, there's someone we've never seen before, but then that would have, in some ways, it would have defeated the point for me. Um, but well, this is good. Like I said, I think it's 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 good that we occasionally disagree um, from time to time. From time to time, and I definitely remember thinking this episode was probably kind of lame-ish, you know, many years ago. And I don't, I I think this is the biggest turnaround I've ever had on a Star Trek episode. Mm. Thus far. (laughs) Thus far. That's right. There's still more things to go. Miles to go before we sleep. So, I think we've covered this. Let's move on to six degrees for the host. I believe our score is one to one. Mm -hmm. Um, Adam? Yes. Barbara Tarbuck plays Lika Tryon. Lika asks the Federation to help mediate the Nutty War Dudes. In Enterprise's first season, she played Kalev, the Chancellor of the Coridan government, that invites Archer to visit her planet in the first season episode, Shadows of Pagem. This episode was a sequel of sorts to the Andorians' first appearance on Enterprise. Name that episode.
2: Mm, the Andorians?
0: You're so close. Uh, you're close enough that I'll let you follow it up with another guess.
2: Um, the... Andorian experiment. I don't
1: know. Oh, man. (laughs) Steve? The Andorian incident. (laughs)
0: Yes. (laughs) Uh, Steve, the working title for this episode was E Pluribus Unum. This is Latin. Please translate that into English.
1: Uh, Yeah, yeah, yeah. Gosh dang it. It's been so long since I've... um, Okay, like all for one or something
0: uh one for many um i'll give you that yeah i okay. guess yeah yeah i'll give that to you
1: all right all right uh moving on <laughs> The Mind's Eye, Season 4, Episode 24, Production Number 198. Original Air Date, May 27, 1991. Directed by David Livingston. Story by Renee Echeverria and Ken Schaefer. Teleplay by Renee Echeverria. Music composed by Dennis McCarthy. Guest cast include Larry Dobkin as Kell, John Fleck as Tybok, Calmini as Miles O'Brien, Edward Wiley as Vog, and Major Barrett as Computer Voice. <laughs>
2: En route to a vacation and seminar on RISA, Geordie is kidnapped by the Romulans and subjected to days of brainwashing, while a double is sent to replace him at the conference. Geordie is forced to endure painful series of mind altering experiences designed to put him under complete Romulan control. On the Enterprise, the crew is assigned to escort Klingon Ambassador Kale to Khorizian, to the Corisian system where one of the Klingon colonies is fighting for independence. The governor of Koros, Vach charges that the Federation is secretly aiding the rebels. Though Bacard denies the accusation, Vach produces weapons seized from the rebels, which appear to be Federation issue. Your captain and I will bring him to the cargo bay. I want you to kill him there in front of many witnesses. Use a hand phaser. When he is dead, you will claim that you acted on behalf of Starfleet in support of creoan independence
0: I understand all right the mind's eye kind of a Manchurian candidate thing <laughs> um it's funny how many times I've seen that either remade flat out or you know big homages to it it's it's still um, it's, what is it fifty years old and it's still influential <laughs> um it's funny. This episode too is that, boy. That image of Jordy in that like torture machine. Mm. It's yeah. such a like. I remember it so well. You know, I've I've seen it used as internet memes. You know, yeah. I forget sometimes where it comes from, but because it, but it's so visually effective. You know, and the and that tie and that torture. You know, he's like we're gonna we're cooking into this his his visual system here and 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 sending in whatever we want and that sounds terrifying, <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs>
2: sounds pretty much horrible,
0: yeah, um so that's pretty good <laughs>
2: yeah. Uh, yeah i thought I thought Lavar Burton did a good job because you can notice like he's twitching his hands, his fingers mm-hmm. are all moving, and then when he- yeah, he did a good job, just kind of. Relaying like the experience that Jordy was going through, you could kind of just kind of feel him. I, on a side note, on that picture you were talking about, um, Brian, yeah, that's the the tag picture that they use on Netflix for the episode, so it's kind of creepy. <laughs> <like> that. <laughs> that's funny.
0: Um, of course, in that torture scene, we get a mystery figure back there.
1: Yeah. Yes. Yes. It's her voice too, yeah. and yeah. Yeah, yeah.
0: yeah, I don't think she's credited, but it's it's Annie's yeah, yeah. Crosby setting herself up as. You know who? Um Steve?
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um What do you think? Well, what are your first what do you what is your second thought? Second thought. <laughs> well, I, I think it's fun because it's kind of one of these, you know, you know, th- these kinds of episodes generally you know, are, you know, where there's um espionage and someone's being brainwashed and you know it's that's a fun idea i don't know and we'll get to this point too i don't know how much this has to say really i think it's a it's a kind of a fun episode and like you said it's fun that they're setting up the season finale um i like romulan related episodes because of all the kind of um uh the like i said the these kind these kind of themes going on where they're they're so du- duplicitous and so on, you know. It's always interesting, um, and, and and the interactions with the Klingons and uh, Picard interacting with Klingons is always fun. So um, I don't know. It's it's one of these episodes that I think is, is is entertaining and fun, but I'm not sure how like on some kind of quality level or what it has to say, how much it has, you know, it holds up.
0: It's one of those weird ones too, where in in some ways it feels like it's from an earlier season almost. Mm, right. I don't know, but you know in some ways not um yeah like the i like the klingons um it's a little weird um i love the last act put it that way you know but but kind of getting there there's some it's a little bit kind of clunky at times or whatever but but just the opening is is well not the opening opening um Jordy playing trivia with the computer is, was a stupid idea. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but you, you skip past the teaser. Um, you know, like I said, his torture is great. I love the way that he's just so calm and collected. Um like like murdering the simulated miles and then sitting down for a drink. That's Yeah, just for, yeah, that, yeah. that
2: was kind of creepy. I like how they pushed in on um Kalmini on that, you know. <laughs> yeah. That yeah, last yeah. Song.
0: Act dead. Here's a check. <laughs> <laughs> um so all that works. Um, it's almost too... They wrap it up almost too fast. Like, I don't know how Jordy goes from that to totally okay, almost, basically. Yeah. I, I know that's next gen, and these they don't really have story arcs and stuff, but it, it's one of the few times where the lack of follow-up robs the episode somehow, for me.
2: Yeah. I, know, I know where they could have found some room. Uh, you know, that I, I was like, how much... Evidence does Data need to suspect on um, Jordi? Yeah, it's, now that's uh, they that's, kind of played that out a little too much to me.
0: At first, I love that. I'm like, oh, this is great. Data is is Data's racing to to discover what happened as Jordy is on his way to kill the Klingon governor. But you're like, wait a minute. Yeah, they I'm go back like, the suit needs. <laughs> yeah, like the very first, the very first thing should have been, probably should have been enough. But yeah, you know. Like even going like okay so he's sitting he's sitting like at the science station in the, in the, the back of the bridge there, you know and the computer basically says, um, Jordy the Laporte. only thing I can think of that would receive communication this way would be a visor. How many people on board? <laughs> Wear a visor. Um, yeah.
1: That and should thought, have
0: been enough for suspicion. Well, <laughs> I mean, instead- that, that,
2: that's already two things because remember Jordy didn't have an alibi and he kept mentioning that to everyone. I was
0: I was oh, in my yeah. quarters by myself. <laughs> <laughs> During this incident, <laughs> but then of course the next scene is not Data confronting Geordi. The next scene is Data going to check out the shuttle shuttlepod. Well, it um, doesn't
2: even end there. He he has to get like three, like there's like yeah. five confirmations. You know, he finally when he figures out that the shuttle has been compromised by a tractor beam. That's when he's like, "Okay, I have enough."
0: Yeah, so that's the kind of stuff. Like there were moments of that that were really exciting, and and the, the concept and the idea was very sound. But maybe it needed another rewrite so that it felt a little more um, natural and exciting. Um, so yeah,
2: you could have cut out two or three minutes there, Brian, and then you could have probably had a better conclusion. You could have. Well,
0: it's funny, you know. Unfortunately, it's one of those episodes where I can just tell they must have come up short mm-hmm. because there's a scene when he goes to see Doctor Crusher because he couldn't sleep. Right. Yeah. The scene adds, n- and I mean nothing. the episode i mean it's and it feels like filler it feels like oh they cut the thing and they were they were running short which happens all the time right Mm -hmm. um in fact i think that probably happens that they do have to do a write an extra scene it happens more often than they end up cutting things um because in the long run you know that would be cheaper (laughs) Mm -hmm. um than always shoot, overshooting. But that scene adds nothing. So it tells me that scene had to have been added later, which means they were coming up short on time, which means they had to put every single one of those data, figuring it out, things in there. Um,
1: gotcha.
0: But that's just with the script that they had, right? I mean, a, a full rewrite, you could have gotten around it in a different, completely different way. <laughs> um, so it, it's, it's, a, it's a cool idea, and it's exciting in moments, but it does cut back not just once, not just twice, probably three times uh too many. Um but that it is a nice moment whenever he finally, you know, he contacts um Worf and uh you know Worf hollers at Picard and stops him and he, you feel it. You feel you feel tension, you feel anxiety. Uh Worf's trying to get to Jordy and the Klingons stop him, and then he's like, you know, LaForge or something, you know. Um I know he's not gonna shoot him, but that uh, it kind of made me wonder. If he had shot him, how would they have dealt with that from like a legal standpoint?
1: Well, I mean, he's—they just prove he's under duress, and it'd really be the same result, probably more or less. But, but yeah, that's—I mean, that's that's the biggest—that's one of the big things is how when they don't carry on episode to episode is because you don't get any questions. Like in reality, wouldn't there be a bit of a trust issue? We wouldn't just go like a, a day later and you know, everything's cool because he was under duress. I mean, it would be a huge. To do you know with Jordy and such?
2: Yeah, yeah. When if you were Picard, wouldn't you want to know what the Klingons found out so you could like kind of like clear Jordy fully? Yeah,
1: you, I mean, maybe we. I mean, it's all it's off camera. And we assume it happens or something, but yeah. yeah. Like, so I
2: think, it would,
0: whole, been, yeah, I think it would have been ahead cooler ahead. if they just if the Klingons had just said, you know, just killed uh, the ambassador right then and there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just killed him and then and then searched him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: <laughs> that that there's an episode for you. Um it starts with the, the officer, our officer Jordy killing somebody. <laughs> and then <laughs> yeah. the whole thing is the exploration of this, you
0: know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh is this a good episode? I don't really get a sense. I mean, it sounds like they're, we're talking about things we liked and things we didn't. So, is this does this good? Does it overcome those those um, clunky bits we talked about? I think we certainly a- were talking how great like the terror, the um, torture scene was.
2: Yeah, I think I think this episode is entertaining, but I, can't, I think I'm probably with Steve in the fact that it's kind of hard to kind of figure out, figure out what it's about. I think. You know, and then in a couple episodes, this episode has a little bit more meaning because it kind of sets a little bit of stuff up for future episodes. But other than that, I would I'm hard pressed to kind of find any like true meaning. I mean, you know, we could I could make something up about like identity and knowing who you are, but I don't think that would really fit. But I can't say I didn't. I can't say I didn't like this episode. I was entertained. Mm -hmm. Like you said, it's got mystery, intrigue, you know, suspense and um. So I, I can't say I thought it was a bad
1: episode. Yeah,
0: it's. A, Steve, is this any good? And then let's
1: get into what it's about. Um, it's a fun romp. It's one, uh, of, the, it's one of these things. I, I think I think it's fun and entertaining. But yeah, I'd have a lot of trouble coming up with what it's about. I mean, I've, I've, I really have. I'd really be making up something to try to come up with that. So I, I think I don't think it has a lot to say. I do think it's 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 a fun episode, and entertaining to watch. That's that's about it. Adam, is
0: it about anything for you?
2: No, I think like I was I was saying, you know, the closest thing that I could come to is like, you know, knowing who you are and identity, but I think that's a big stretch. Um I think the only thing that you could kind of say this episode is about is it's kind of setting up a little bit of stuff that we're gonna see in the future. But
1: And that's cool. Anything continuity is fun in the series, yeah. but yeah. Yeah.
0: Especially we get so little of it in yeah. next gen. Yeah.
1: yeah. yeah. Hmm. Well,
0: at the very, very, very end, the last scene, it gave Deanna Troy a very rare opportunity to do her job.
1: Hmm. Mm-hmm. Right.
0: Which she pretty much never does on this show. Everybody else does, but not Troy. So she <laughs> gives Jordy some actual therapy.
2: She did some therapy on her mom that we talked about that earlier today.
0: Yeah, but that was still just I mean, as That's a daughter, daughter. I would have had to have done that, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, here's here's your obligation. She's, she's, she's clearly there's like Clearly a scene where she's being a therapist. Which um, I can count on one hand the number of times we've seen <laughs> that. As opposed to, say, scenes where Picard is being a captain. Yeah.
1: <laughs> That'd be an interesting trivia question for <laughs> Six Degrees. And how many episodes do we see Deanna Troy, Troy being a therapist? <laughs> <laughs>
2: uh. Oh, it was kind of funny how she was trying to be nosy in the, early on the episode.
1: Oh, like, about who he... Who oh, yeah, yeah. About who he shagged. Yeah. But you don't hear about
2: that. Yeah. Because it didn't happen.
1: Yeah, that's the fun that's the fun Romulan job is coming up with the imaginary uh script to enter into his brain, you know. They're saying, How about we do this? You know
0: Let's give
2: <laughs> so him a that it would have
1: gotten
0: way crazier.
1: Yeah, yeah. Like <laughs> he shows back up on the ship It's like, Man, I just cannot believe I did what I did. <laughs> what was I thinking? <laughs> <laughs>
0: What happens on Risa stays on Riza. Yeah, yeah. Uh, all right, let's finish up with Six Degrees for the Mind's Eye. I was kind and gave that other one to Steve, right? So we were at 3
1: 1? Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah. Is that right? Okay. Steve, you want to go first or second? I'll go first. Okay, well, then you're going to get in two Latins in a row. John Flick plays Tybeck, the Romulan that teaches Geordie such wonderful things. In DS9's seventh season, he played another Romulan, Koval, in the episode Inter Arma Enum Silent Legus. What does
1: that mean in Latin? Oh my Latin? goodness. <laughs> All right. I know it was just like, what, like a couple of years ago when we discussed this, but um, let's see. I just
0: thought it would be fun to have two Latin phrases. Yeah, right, right. Just, yeah. Which obviously you agree, you think it's fun. <laughs> <laughs>
1: um Uh, It's on the tip of my tongue. I mean, I'm getting part of it here, but um, I'm I'm hesitant to give part of it, and then it gets stolen from me. I'm I'm just going to go for it, and hopefully I'm close enough. Um, Something like uh, during war, the law falls silent. Yep, (laughs) that's right. All right.
0: In times of war, the law falls silent. Adam, Edward Wiley plays Governor Bach, the Klingon governor that does not exhibit a great deal of patience. In DS9's second season, he played the Cardassian Gull, Turan, in the episode Profit and Loss. At the end of the episode, Turan is killed by what other Cardassian?
2: Uh to cut?
1: No. Steve? Did you give a season on that or not? Second. Okay. I did. Okay. Oh gosh!
0: When I say it, you guys are gonna both be like, "Of course, yes, I remember."
1: Uh, was it um, Garrick?
0: You're right. It was Garrick. It was that one, that one episode where, <laughs> at the right at the end of the episode, Garrick totally vaporizes him. Wow!
2: Pretty was... could have been only it pretty, could have only really been one of two people called yeah. Ducat or. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Second season, yeah, I guess. So. <laughs> no, it was Glenn <laughs> and You know,
2: go Michael Blacusmanin. Yeah.
1: Uh,
0: Well, folks, thanks for uh, spending another hour here with us today. Um, I'm excited to finish out Season 4 in two weeks. We're just going to be doing two episodes in two weeks so we can finish out Season 4. Some good ones, too. Um, You can follow us on Twitter. That's at TrekCompanion. We should be sending out more tweets. I I I haven't tweeted in a bit. Sorry. I will try to do that. Uh, We will try to do that. Um, You can follow us on facebook facebook.com slash trekcompanion you can send us an email uh, trekcompanion at gmail.com you can leave a review on itunes that's the coolest thing because it helps other people find us Um, so until next time take it easy
1: bye see ya
0: I passed it.